G'day Growth Group leaders and anyone else who gets this. And you've stuck with Travis this week because Nathan's hopefully landed in Jerusalem by now and enjoying some time with his family. So we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 17. And I want to thank Tim Baxter if he gets this for some of the questions uh, that he did in a previous study. But question one I've put down is just a kickoff question. Why is it easy to live focused on yourself? And what do you think mostly contributes to that? I think there's two really quick and easy answers. One is just our sinful nature, our flesh, uh, which always places ourselves at the centre of everything. Um, think of Galatians 5 um, and, and, and the, the flesh there. Um, it's all about us and what we get. But also the world we live in says it's all about us, uh, what I get. Um, two big things there. So it just sets up um, a motivator of what we actually or who we want to be living for and um, what we want to be focused on. So question two is uh, starting off with verse 11. Well, verse 11 starts off with since then. It actually ties back to the preceding verses. If we look back at verse 9 to 10 in particular, why does Paul say we know what it is to fear the Lord? Um, you know, um, why does he say we know what it is to fear the Lord? Well, here he's, I think he's talking about uh, that judgment we've just been reminded of, uh, not one of condemnation, but uh, commendation. You know, we know what we will give an account for our lives. The live life matters, and um, Paul's just saying that we we know what it is to fear the Lord. So we need to think about how we live, and for Paul, that means he's a minister um, of the gospel. So he wants to think about how he's going to live his life in response to being a minister of the gospel. Uh, question three, uh, what does this fear of the Lord motivate Paul and his fellow workers to do? Well, it's persuade others. Uh, Paul is a minister of the gospel. He knows he's been entrusted with a wonderful treasure and that's what he's on about. People need to know Jesus. So he's motivated uh, to... Uh, to share that with others. He wants to persuade others to know this. Um, he doesn't want his life's work to be bad or worthless. He wants it to be good. Uh, so he's, he's on mission. He wants people to know uh, the goodness of Jesus, the treasure of knowing him. Uh, question four is, how can a greater knowledge of God move you to tell others about him? Now, it's, it's easy that the truth of God and just what we've been adopted into or who we're, what we're a part of uh, to become what Nathan would often refer uh, to as our wallpaper around us. We're just so used to um, the privilege of being called Christians, children of God. But as we think about or we grow in a greater knowledge of God, it can move us um, to tell others about him. You know, that we've been given this wonderful treasure of being made right with God, of, uh, of knowing the glory of God in the face of Christ. Um, the giver of life has called us his children. Uh, the king has made us his brothers. That's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And, um, yeah, people might just share other reasons of, um, of how a greater knowledge of God can move you to tell others about him. Uh, but we want to think about the wonder of the gospel and also... Uh, the reality that we give an account for our lives. So as we know that we give an account, 
that, that's actually a really good motivator to not be slothful or apathetic about others' position before God. Uh, question five, uh, in verses 11b to 13, what is Paul's main or repeated point? Um, and why is this good to take pride in? Well, Paul just returns back to, I think, that uh, discussion about his weakness because um, it's the means by which God is most glorified as he struggles through hardship. Uh, he knows that he has a wonderful treasure in uh, glass, um, jars of clay. Um, he seeks his life, seeks to live his life, not only knowing the glory of God in Christ, but he wants to live in light of the resurrection that's to come. Uh, we've just been thinking about that, the tent that will go, the building that will come. Um, he doesn't want his hope um, or his, he doesn't want any pride in fancy appearance or presentation. Um, he knows there's weakness in what he does. And he actually takes, in a sense, a, a humble pride, and if you can have such a thing, in his weakness because he knows his weakness shows that the message that he has, the power of that message is not in his glamour or his speech, but the power of that message comes from God who gives it. Um, it keeps pushing, Paul keeps pushing focus away from himself, uh, wanting to see God glorified. He's the one who's given him this treasure. He's just this old vessel. Uh, just encourage you then to read verses uh, 14 and 15 together. Uh, two questions will split it, but I think it's really helpful to read this together. Uh, looking at verse 14, in verse 14, what compels Paul to go on speaking the truth? How or is that different to the fear of the Lord that motivated him in verse 11? So here we read that it's Christ's love that compels Paul. That's uh, quite clear. Um, it's important to see that it's not his love for Christ, but actually Christ's love for him that compels him. And I think it actually complements, uh, not contradicts or not conflicts with, but it complements the healthy fear he has uh, of knowing that he'll give an account of his life. One point, he gives an account, yes, but then there is this wonderful motivator of Christ's love, uh, not for him, but also others, that they would um, yeah, be forgiven but also, uh, there's another reason, um, and that's verse 15. In verse 15, why did Jesus die and rise? Now, that might seem like a really basic question. Everyone knows why Jesus died and rose. Isn't it just, you know, to forgive us our sins or to rescue us? Well, that, that's true, but that's not the complete story. Um, what does Paul say? He says, uh, verse 15, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Why did Jesus die and rise? Well, that's that people would actually live for Jesus, um, that they would live lives that glorify him. That's God's purpose in rescuing us. It's not simply to forgive us our sins and goal. It's actually that, we, yes, we would be forgiven, but being reconciled to God, brought into his family, made his children, our lives would then reflect who we are in Christ because we are a new creation. So just to encourage people to just push a bit harder in thinking through the implications of what Jesus was accomplishing through his death and resurrection. And Paul's pushing there uh, with his statement in verse 15. Let us ask, do you actually believe it? Do we actually believe uh, that that's why Jesus died? that we would no longer live for ourselves, 
Because often I think that the language we have of the gospel of being forgiven is, well, I'm forgiven, I'm right with God, and kind of I get to do what I want. But if we know that Jesus died for us, that we would live lives, um, that we would live for him, I think, do I actually believe that? He's actually rescued me so that I would live for him. And um, just thinking about how the lives we live speaks volumes about what we believe. It's so easy to say we believe something. And question nine is, would those you share a home or office think you actually believe that we're called to live a life for Jesus? You know, why Why not? You know, what would need to change if they didn't actually think you believed that Jesus died and rose again um, so that you could now live for him? Um, it's good to think, you know, why? What, do our, what does our lives say about what we believe? If I really believe that Jesus died, yes, to, to, to forgive me of my sins, to make me right with God, but that now I can live um, as as part of God's kingdom, uh, one of his children, um, what does that look like? Um, what are the things I'm doing that don't, doesn't indicate that? Uh, question 10 is, uh, and in verse 16 and 17, how does Jesus' death and resurrection change the way Paul now views people? Well, he sees people now, not as in they're just going to live then die, just like he viewed Jesus, but no, uh, there is the hope of a resurrection. Um, he once viewed Christ as just a person who lived and died, but now he rose again. Therefore, he says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is God, the new has come. In Christ, we are a new creation. Um, everything has changed. I wonder, um, have you ever viewed people through that lens? Um, you know, that they, in Christ, become a new creation. And uh, what would change if you did? I wonder what would change if you viewed um, people through that lens of being an old creation which doesn't have hope in life to being a new creation in Christ. Um, would we see that as people's greatest need? Um, oh, I'm over 10 minutes. Okay, going to wrap it up because this will get back to the boss more than likely. Um, encouragement there to pray for each other that would have hearts compelled by Christ's love to live, to live lives that please him and that we would desire others, and be specific about who you're going to pray for, to be called a new creation. All right, I'm tapping out.